listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real-life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey there, SLPs. Welcome to the Real Talk SLP podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about taking language samples and how you can use these informal assessment tools to help you make better clinical decisions and feel more confident with where you're starting in therapy. So I wanted to have Allison Fors come on and share some of her language sampling collecting. I don't know if I said that right. Language sample collecting tips. And yeah, welcome, Allison. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this because I think this is a tool that we could use in therapy more than maybe what we either dread it, we think it's too labor intensive, or we're not sure how we can best use language samples. So I think this is going to be a really action-packed episode. Um, how's How are things going or what's new with you? Or if, I don't know if you want to tell everyone who you are. Allison's been on the podcast before, um, and I can't remember which episode, though. <laughs> I have to go back and look. I forgot to check. That's okay. Yeah, I've been on the podcast before, and I think we talked about, like, sensory strategies, incorporating sensory strategies in therapy. But, yes, I am an SLPA. I create a lot of uh, speech therapy resources and content on my blog and in my TPT store. Um, I have two kids, five and two years old. My two-year-old is cleft affected. So I also do kind of talk a lot about cleft speech in my little online space as well. Yeah. I, now you're jogging my memory. It was about sensory strategies. I will link that episode in the show notes. And yeah, the, a fun fact about Allison and I is that we live about 15 minutes from each other. So we are able to hang out sometimes and we're going to do a little project together because that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Allison come on the podcast um, because we have been working behind the scenes to bring you a live webinar about effective grammar strategies that are going to help you improve syntax and morphology with your students and, and give you some practical um, application for how you can do that in therapy. And so while we were planning all the behind the scenes of that, we were figuring out some trouble areas that SLPs feel, you know, not confident in with therapy. And one of those is knowing where to start uh, with your students who have a language disorder. And we know that using language samples can be that great tool that you can use to find a starting point and head into therapy with more confidence. So that's why we're going to talk about that today, because one, we want to talk about our live webinar happening in June and we want to let you know about that so you can get on the wait list and two we wanted to give you a little sample of what's to come yeah exactly we um there was a lot we wanted to include in the webinar but we can't fit it all so language samples isn't something we really dive into we more dive into some evidence-based practices for grammar like strategies so I think it's good we're touching because this is the first step and the first step, and it's not as scary as it needs to be. And I think language samples are probably a pretty underutilized tool, or maybe we're not like getting as much of much out of them as we could be. 
Yes, and I remember when I was full-time in the schools, um, I always took a lang an informal language sample, but I struggled either getting the 50 to 100 utterances, or I wasn't really sure I would struggle with how do I quantify what what is happening in the language sample or figuring out where to start with a student where I'm like finding patterns of errors. So getting a little refresh on collecting language samples is always a good practice because we're so busy with our caseload that sometimes we forget about tools that we could use to help us with assessments. So um, I'm like, anything else to add before we jump in? I don't think so. Yes. And so before we jump in too, I want to let you know that the wait list to sign up for the effective grammar strategies for language therapy will be in the show notes so that when tickets are ready to be sold, you can sign up and you will get a coupon code um, for $5 off the event. So you definitely want to get on the wait list. All right. First up, Allison, why do we take language samples? They're a really good assessment tool when it comes to, we kind of want to do a gross overview of a child, um, what is happening with their language. So with a language sample, we can be looking at their MLU, like their utterance length, and there's actual like calculations for how to do that, their vocabulary, their syntax, morphology, um, even pragmatics or narrative skills. So, or like pronouns. Yeah, there's sentence types, we can kind of get a gross overview into everything happening and see the deficits and then prioritize what to work on. Yes. And I know that in the schools, even for um, eligibility, you can use a language, a formal language sample to help with determining eligibility. So they can be really, really powerful when you're not sure if a test is, um, you know, reliable for the student, or you felt like, oh, I don't know if they, if, if you're on the fence, if they're still, if, if they really do qualify, you can take a language sample to support the need for services or that they are exhibiting, you know, average language for their age. So mm -hmm. it's really, really effective. Um, do you have any tips or ideas on how to encourage participation during a language sample? Yeah, that can be the tricky thing, especially if it's a new student on your caseload and you don't quite have that rapport yet and like aren't sure that they're going to cooperate or communicate with you. So I think the biggest takeaway is do something that's play-based, something that's going to be fun and intriguing for them, not feel like work necessarily. Um, a really fun one that works a lot of time with young children is... <laughs> is you can use a Band-Aid and put it on you and make up a story on how you got hurt and then ask the child about a time that they got hurt because children love talking about their owies and love talking about when they've gotten hurt, even if it was years ago. So um, that might get them talking. You can also bring in a toy catalog and have the child go through the toy catalog, like talk about things and have them choose three items that um, like they could take to a birthday party or something and explain why, like why they pick those things. Um, and then my kind of go-to trick, even in just general therapy, is if a child's not participating, I will incorporate like a 
you know, like, like a toy I have in the room, whether it's a stuffed animal or a, you know, playhouse figure and have them participate with me. So have like the little, I don't know, like the, the dog from the playhouse, have the dog pick out three things from the toy catalog and the dog can explain why. And that can sometimes bridge that gap. Um, or even if the child is so shy and they're not, you know, you can tell that they're not really going to talk to you. Maybe they will engage with that stuffed animal um, or whatnot. So those are some like of my, those two are probably like my go-to tricks. Um, and then also it's, if you do have a line of communication with the caregiver, asking them if there's anything that the child is super into at the moment, any interests, or if they've done any activities recently that they might be willing to talk about, like if they just went to a birthday party or if they just went to like Disney on ice or something, something that they would be excited to share about. Awesome. Yeah. And I will attest to the band-aid strategy. That's a really great idea because I literally <laughs> was serving at church on Sunday in the four-year-old room and every kid, I, I said, oh, so one kid shared that they had a boo-boo and then I, I shared that I've had boo-boos before and I shared a story and then everybody at the table started showing me all their boo-boos yep. hurt, and it was it was a hot topic for sure it's a hot topic um, <laughs> <laughs> so I really like that tip and so I would I would I'm guessing that if you're going to do a language sample and you know the child might be shy like giving a parent survey before you're doing the assessment or talking to the parent on the phone probably best so that maybe you can get access to that toy or the or some sort of material that the kid is really digging mm -hmm. awesome um do you have any toys that you would recommend for a language sample like is there a certain toy that you gravitate towards when you're doing a play-based approach to try to get those language utterances i mean usually you have like a toy or two in your room that seems like the hot toy at the moment like kids just can't resist so um like I feel like like a bubble gun or something. Like usually there's a kind of like a go-to toy at the moment. And what I like to do is put that high interest toy um like like in a clear bin and pretend I can't open the bin, like, oh, let's play with this one. And I'm struggling to open it and ask them, say, Oh, can you can you open it? Can you help me? And sometimes that will bridge that gap of, you know, getting them broken in, like just kind of overcoming um the shyness or whatever and then we can play with the toy so I always I mean with working with younger children at least like an early intervention or preschool I love the open-ended toys at the playhouse the toy farm the play kitchen those seem to just be work most of the time for most kids um for older kids or you know for like elementary I like to have busy picture scenes on hand that there's just a lot going on and we can talk about them, like what's happening in the scene. And I can ask them questions like, oh, if you were in this in the picture scene, what would you do? Like, what would you be doing or what activity would you be participating in? Um, or just bringing up silly things that are happening and laughing about it and, and discussing it. So those are kind of my like go-to activity ideas. If it's a kid, I'm not really sure what they're going to gravitate to. I'll put out a couple things in the room and just let them. I'll be like, okay, what are they going to go to when they enter the room and see 
what they do. Yeah, that's a good point to just, if you're not sure or if they're not engaging, just like put up some choices. Um, I know that you, I think you have a blog post about picture scenes or don't you have a Pinterest board? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I have a Pinterest board that has a ton of those busy scenes I'm talking about. So you could even just open it up on your computer, pick one. Like you'll obviously need an internet connection if you don't um, like select it or print it out beforehand. But a lot of times I just leave it up on my computer and kids really like um, talking about them. Yeah. And if you go to her, I'll link the Pinterest board or the blog post in um, the show notes. But then if you want to have those on hand on your iPad or your computer, you can download them, upload them to a Google slide. And I'm pretty sure you can access Google slides off the internet. Yeah, I think you can. I think you can. So you do have to do a little bit of work if you wanted to have those available, but then they become something that you could just pull up um, on the fly when you're doing a language sample. Or even, you know, language samples, when I used to do them, I used to do them a lot for assessments but I forget that I could use these for progress monitoring or getting baselines or figuring out like, where do I need to go next with the new annual IEP? Where's the next starting point? So, you know, having those on hand is super helpful. Um, All right. Awesome. Awesome tips. So what tips do you have for collecting the language sample and analyzing it? Yeah, I think my biggest tip is to record the sample because it's really hard to participate in actually like leading the language sample and then trying to like think through all of the different grammatical areas, eras and what what they're doing. So I would record the sample. You can use Audacity, which is a free program um, or any other program you might have to record and refer back to later. Um, I also have a free sample checklist that I use because it goes through a bunch of different areas, like different sentence types, um, morphology, mean length utterance, narratives, pragmatics. So it goes through a bunch of different things just so I can be like, okay, did I think through all of these different components? So I like having, and there's, there's other free ones online too. Like you can Google it and see if you can find a language sample that you checklist that you like to kind of keep you on track and make sure you've paid attention to the main areas you should be listening for. Yeah. Awesome. So just to recap, uh, record your language sample so that you can go back and listen to it. And you mentioned audacity, which I will have to check out because I have not heard of that. Um, And then you know, once you've collected your language sample, grab some information on grammar development that you have on hand and, you know, and use that to analyze the resource. I know you have a grammar development handout um, and you also have a free language sample checklist that's on the blog post that we will link in the show notes. So if you're interested in that, you can go check that out. And I know for myself, I serve a lot of bilingual students who English is their second language. So I often have um, a cheat sheet for the language that um, the students speak their primary language so that I can look to see if there is a difference in their production or, you know, in their MLU or their syntax that's consistent with their primary language. 
uh, so that I can say, okay, that is not a language or a syntactical error. That's just a difference because they're learning two languages at the same time. Mm -hmm. So having those things handy are really helpful when you're, when you're trying to analyze uh, what the child is saying. All right. So any other last tips on language samples or anything before we wrap things up? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. But yeah, there's some yeah. good, we, I feel like we both have some like good resource, like free resources out there that people can go grab after this um, to help with taking language samples. Yeah. So just to recap, a lot of the points is that language samples are really um, a great informal tool that we can use to gather data on their MLU, vocabulary, syntax, semantics, morphology, so many things, narrative skills, pragmatics, all those things. Um, and when you're trying to encourage participation, using a play-based approach when you can, finding high interest toys or using, you know, fun strategies that you know will get a kid talking like, the, we're just going to call it the Band-Aid strategy now. The Band-Aid strategy, um, yep. <laughs> and then record your sample and use developmental norms and handouts and cheat sheets to help you make decisions about what the child is saying. So those are, that's a recap. If you have any extra tips, you know, about how you take language samples, reach out to us at Allison Coors and at the Dabbling Speech Sheet. We would love to continue the discussion. It was great having you on, Allison. I can't wait for our webinar our grammar webinar. It's going to be fun and impactful, filled with evidence-based practices. So I'm really excited about that. And yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of good information to share. So hopefully we see you there. All right. Awesome. Talk to you all later. Don't forget to be the SLP that every kid wants to see. And I will talk with you all next week.